This is the Clonmel Podcast with Mark Whelan. Hello, it's Mark here and welcome to the Clonmel Podcast episode 160 for this Friday, the 15th of December and it's the penultimate podcast episode. Last one coming next week, which is the Christmas special. Mm. This podcast is brought to you by Mr. Mr. Menswear, Abbey Street Care and Friar Street Cashel. Stock in a large collection of quality and formal clothing with sizes from extra small to eight extra large with boys wear also available in their Cashel store. They're open this Sunday from 2 to 5 p.m. until 7 p.m. next Friday, the 22nd of December and from 9 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. on Christmas Eve. Gift cards are also available. For more, go to mrmister.ie. So, how was your week? Hope it went well. Went very well for Clomel boxer Shauna O'Keefe, who won her first professional fight last week. Her second, by the way, her second pro fight comes up in February. Best of luck again, Shauna, and well done on winning the first fight. The new bus service in town came into operation this week. Have you tried it yet, and are you enjoying it? Like me, did you get stuck in those roadworks during the week on the Western Road? I think it was by the medical centre there. And speaking of roads, I've been told to keep a lookout for deer running onto the wood road between Clomel and Loclofty. So take care if you uh, travel that area, especially at night time or in the early hours of the morning. A number of cars were damaged around Clomel this week. I think five in total. The guards are investigating right now. The final stage of the demolition of the Clom Alarms took place this week. I know Sarsfield Street was closed yesterday to facilitate this. And haven't we all got great memories of being in the Clom Alarms over the years? We also found out this week that the preferred upgrade to the N24 will be announced in the new year. I have to say about time as well. And here's another, you know, Christmas is coming when the house out the Care Road have their amazing lights display on. I got to see this last week for the first time. You know the house by the roundabout there? Just out the Care Road. Looks fantastic. So, what is coming up this week on the Clonmel Podcast? Well, I chat to JJ Killian about Clonmel Rugby Club, coming to town and being stationed in the Kickham Barracks, news on a Christmas concert coming to Eldon's, a yoga walk at the foot of the Gouties, jobs and the winners of our hashtag Where's Mella competition are announced. The Clonmel Podcast. But first, it's time for the last one of these of the year. And now, it's time for Dean McGrath to join Mark as they explore more of the history of Clonmel. This is Historic Clonmel. Time for another episode of Historic Clonmel. Once again, I'm joined by Dean McGrath. Dean, where are you this month? Hi, Mark. We are at another one of Clonmel's historic lane. So between 8 and 9 in O'Connell Street is Blue Anchor Lane, situated uh, between Matters Chemist and Elvery's uh, sports shop. So this particular lane is famous for poetry. A a poem was written by a chap called C.J. Boland, which adorns the wall here and was erected by Tipperary County Council. Now the poetry itself goes very much, let others tread the mountain height to breed Dungarvan air. For me, the town holds more delight and eloquence more rare than fading light on wind-kissed hill when gemmed by Vesper rain. Give me to wander sweet at will adown Blue Anchor Lane. Hmm. So CJ Boland was actually the father of the 
of the famous poet Even Boland and anyone who did their leaving cert in the last 10 or 15 years will know Even Boland's poetry from the English curriculum. So, But what about Blue Anchor Lane? What about where he was uh, writing about? So the name is very simply named after a tavern or a pub that was located in this lane. Now this lane would have been, this, the, the dock workers would have been down here, this quay would have been a height of industrial kind of commerce and trade as well. There would have been an awful lot of workmen and women up and down. Um, so the Blue Anchor Lane was, ironically, the town shambles for a very short period of time. Now we heard that the shambles was a place where animals were butchered. Mm. So this particular place was the first on record shambles in Clonmel. Now there's very little left of it in terms of the butchery and what occurred here. Um, and as we know from our previous episodes, the town shambles became East Lane mm. or Shambles Lane, which is across by Mitchell Street coming out onto Gladstone Street. Yeah. So the reason the shambles moved from here uh, was because of some, well, unsavoury behaviour in the lane. So I, I've done a little bit of research. So the records of the tavern found the licence was in operation. So Blue Anchor Lane, a public house in Blue Anchor Lane, was trading all the way until 1910. So what we have here is that in the last just over 100 years, the tavern that actually gave the, the lane its name was actually around and was in operation. So the reason it became an, an, an unsavoury area is kind of unclear, but I, I, I would, I'll hazard, hazard a couple of guests. So in 2015, a sheet gig was found in the lane when works were being completed. Now. A Shilani gig is a Celtic symbol. Now, I suppose what the symbol actually means is, is kind of, we, we don't really know. Some people use it as a symbol of fertility. Yeah. It's a pagan symbol. It's up to everybody, I suppose, what they think it might mean. So it could be fertility in the land. It could because people had, you know, various different things, that things were going on here that needed to be blessed. So. A possibility is, because this became unsavoury, that the tavern was so busy, that this could have been, and this shield and the gig could have been installed to ward off the spirits for the unsavoury behaviour that was actually going on down this lane, which leads me to believe that there could have been a red light district of some description, possibly. What, here in Clonmel? Uh, again, I, I, presume they, I, I presume they've made money hundreds of years ago as well. So the truth is we have no idea what shield and the gigs actually are, but mm. the Celtic symbol was found down here. Um, so it could be towards off evil spirits. There seems to be a little bit of uh, documentation of how it was becoming violent and right, quite raucous and there was various different things of an ungodly nature going on down in this very lane and in the tavern. So from, from my own, and it's, it is pure conjecture, I, I think that this may have been one of Clonmel's red, red light districts once upon a time in medieval times. Oh my God, we were trying to work out where we think the tavern was, weren't we? Yeah, I, I, there is still, if you go through, there's still a blue door on the corner of Matters Pharmacy. And then when you go down, there's still, uh, there's a couple of different buildings. It's really, really hard to imagine a tavern or a shambles or that this was such an open streetscape. But evidently it was. And as I said, like, it's a beautiful part of the town. And the lanes are what really makes Clambell so interesting because it's a link between the centre of the market town and the bustling thoroughfare that would have been on the, on the docks or on the quayside near Grubbs Mill. And as you said on previous episodes, Dean, there were 18 lanes in Clonmel. 18 lanes, many of which are in, in O'Connell Street. That was just in O'Connell Street. So oh, there was wow. actually more in Gladstone Street. There was more in Irish Town. Uh, the 18 lanes on O'Connell Street, many of them are uh, either boarded or 
bricked up or mm. being incorporated into buildings, which I think is a dreadful shame because Clonmel's historic lanes would hold so many various yeah. different stories, you know, and um, I would think would have been a huge magnet for tourism if we mm. could have. I suppose change just kept them around a little bit longer and documented more stories from them. But that's uh, that's my thoughts on Blue Anchor Lane. As always, Dean McGrath, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Cheers. Historic Clonmel. Thank you, Dean, and for your help throughout the year with Historic Clonmel. Love that segment. Wilderness Rovers FC will have their Christmas draw on the 24th of December with a guaranteed jackpot prize of €500, Euros, which is lovely. Tickets are just €2 Euros or three for a fiver from Kate Ryan's Bar, Bennigan's Bar, Mizzoni's Pizza or players and committee members. Oldbridge FC have their split the pot draw this coming Sunday, the 17th of December at 8.30pm at the Immigrants' Rest. Top prize is €1,000. Wow. And tickets are available from the Immigrants' Rest and committee members. The Pearly Whites and the Premier Swing Band are having a Christmas concert at Eldon's Bar on Tuesday the 19th of December in aid of Seesaw and free admission is there as well. And speaking of great gigs and amazing singers, my lovely cousin Eve Whelan will be playing at the Junction Cafe on Friday the 22nd of December between 3.30 and 5.30pm. Trust me, if you haven't seen Eve perform live yet, you are in for a treat. There'll be social dancing to the Michael Collins Band at the iconic Feathered Ballroom this coming Sunday, the 17th of December. That starts at half past eight. Admission is just €10 Euros and teas will be served as well. A Christmas bake sale and bring and buy sale is coming to Kilcash Community Centre on Sunday, the 17th of December after 10am mass. All are welcome to attend there. Clonmel World Music present a Christmas special featuring the Wileaways and special guest Dave Clancy at the Coachman Bar Parnell Street on Thursday the 28th of December. Doors open at 7pm, the show starts at 8pm. Tickets on sale now at clonmelworldmusic.com or from Jerry on this number 086 a mantra night comes to White Hart Healing across from the Clonmel Railway Station on Tuesday, the 19th of December. It's on between 7 and 8 p.m., free entry, and all are welcome to come along and experience this. Yoga Walks Island, who featured on the Clonmel podcast a while ago, are holding a gentle walk at the foot of the Galties, meeting at Galtie Castle Wood Car Park at 1 p.m., on Wednesday, the 27th of December. Wouldn't this be perfect after Christmas? It's a 3K loop with stretches, meditations, history, nature insights, and so much more. Price is just €10. Euros. Children go free. For more, go to the Yoga Walks Island Facebook page or call this number 87 0116 That's 87 0116 the ETB are holding an environmental sustainability course starting next year. Now, this is a free course for medical card holders and social welfare recipients. For more details on the course, go to fetchcourses.ie. That's fetchcourses.ie. A Slevenamon vintage vehicle and tractor run in aid of Colony National School will take place on Sunday, the 7th of January, starting at 1pm, with registration at Colony School at midday. For more details, you can contact Philip on this very cool number, 085-1345-085. Isn't that a cool number? 
1345085. A Christmas Storytime sing-along is coming to the Clonmel Library on Monday, the 18th of December. It's on between 4 and 5pm. There'll be a prize for the best costume and you'll get your photo taken with their Christmas snowman. Booking is through eventbookings.com. That's eventbookings.com. Staying with the Clonmel Library, they're also having a card swap. So if you collect Pokemon, match attacks or any other cards, you can do a swap. It's happening tomorrow, Saturday, the 16th of December at the library at 11.30am and there's no need to pre-book. I'm trying to think back in my day, what cards did I collect? It was those, was it Trumps? Top Trumps? I think it was, yeah, Top Trumps. And the football cards, of course. They'd be worth a few quid now, wouldn't they? I mentioned this last week on the podcast. Would you like to be on the radio and present your own radio show? Well, Tipperary Hospital Radio Clonmel are looking for presenters to join their team on a voluntary basis. Now, full training will be given and you must be over 18. For more details, you can email thrclradio at outlook.com. That's thrclradio at outlook.com. Clonmel Commercials ladies are currently holding a bag packing in Duns Davis Road. They were there today, they're there again tomorrow and on Sunday. That's the 17th of December. Try and give a few euros if you can. The South Tipperary Involvement Centre have given us their hours for Christmas. They were closed from the 22nd of December, that's Friday, next Friday, and reopening again on Thursday the 28th of December where you can drop in for a cuppa and a chat, and the hours are 11am to 1pm. A Christmas craft showcase is currently on at the Tipperary Arts Centre and running up until the 23rd of December, showcasing work from our talented regional craft artists. And who knows, if you pop along, you might even pick up a gift for someone this Christmas. The exhibition is open from 10am to 5pm. Don't forget there's free parking in all council-owned car parks in town every Saturday in December. But remember, the pay parking still applies for on-street parking, so please don't get caught out. Please also don't get caught out by the doorstep or porch pirates. These are the not very nice people who go around to houses and steal your lovely items that maybe you've bought off Sheen and have been delivered by the courier companies. And it is, of course, the time of the year when lots of people do buy online. So uh, just look out for the doorstep or porch pirates, the feckers. Can I say that? Now, we mentioned Yoga Walks Island earlier. What about Forest Bathing Walks Island? They're holding a winter solstice retreat at the Glengara Mountain Lodge on Sunday, the 17th of December. That's this Sunday. From 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., there'll be a forest bathing walk, wild tea ceremony, Solstice crafts and lots more. The price is 65 euros with lunch thrown in too and all materials will be included. For more details, go to the Forest Bathing Walks Island social media pages. An evening of pool with legend Jimmy Welwyn White is coming to Kate Ryan's Bar on Thursday the 4th of January. There's VIP tickets here and general tickets, so the best thing to do is have a look on the Kate Ryan's Facebook page. If you like your early morning takeaway coffee, well, don't forget the Outback Coffee Dock is open every morning from 6.30am. DR2's Christmas show takes place at the Strand Theatre Carrick on Shore tomorrow, Saturday the 16th of December at 6.30pm. Tickets are just €15 and get more details on the DR2 Dance Club Facebook page. The Freeman Motorcycles Food Drive will take place this coming Sunday, the 17th of December. So should you have any donations of dried foods for the Clonmel Community Soup Kitchen, 
like rice, pasta, biscuits, crackers, cereal, jars of pasta sauce, etc. You can drop them in on Sunday between 2 and 5 p.m. And at 5 p.m. with the motorcyclists all lit up with their Christmas lights will escort your donations to the Clonmel Community Soup Kitchen up at the railway station. If you haven't seen Santa yet, you'll be glad to know that he'll be arriving at the Coachman Bar on the 23rd of December. That's Saturday, the 23rd of December at 3.30pm. Advanced booking is required. There'll also be music by the legends between 3 and 5pm. Once again, more details on their Facebook page. A Christmas market comes to the Kickham Plaza tomorrow. That's the 16th and Sunday, the 17th of December. From 12 till 5pm, there'll be local crafts, festive goods, Santa's Grotto, food stores, face painting, music and lots more. And I believe that Paul Walsh from Roy7 will be performing there tomorrow. Clomel AC, St Stephen's Day 4 Miler is on again this year. Great way to run, jog or walk off the old Christmas dindins. The race starts from the Mall at 12 noon. Entry fee is €15 online or €20 on the day. More on the Clomel AC social media pages for that. A Christmas holiday play event is coming to the Hillview Sports Club on the 28th and 29th of December. The kids will love this and maybe some of the adults because there'll be a bouncy castle, inflatable and giant games, music lights and lots more. The price is €10 per child and once again more on the Hillview Sports Club Facebook page. Love Beyond Borders, a concert to raise funds for a Kenyan mission trip will take place at the JA Centre this coming Sunday, the 17th of December from 5 to 7.30pm. All are welcome, 10 euros per ticket, which you can buy from eventbrite.ie. Clonmel Jive present a four-week jive course starting on Friday, January 26th at the Presentation Secondary School. No partner or experience required. Price is €40, Euros, payable on the first night, and it's on from 8.15 to 9.30pm. For more details, you can email jivetom at gmail.com or call 87 399 The Clumbell Podcast, Job Spot. Now, jobs this week, what do we got? Well, the Village Grill in Clarehan are looking to hire a store supervisor. We'll oversee the day-to-day running of the store. You must be able to work with the team, flexible working hours and an experience in the food industry desired. If interested, send your CV to hughodonnell one at gmail.com. That's hughodonnell one at gmail.com. Mulcahy's Bar and Restaurant are looking for part-time bar staff and food and beverage personnel. You can send your application to info at mulcahys.ie. Barn Lodge are looking for a chef to join their team and also part-time kitchen staff for the Christmas period. You can send your CV to elainecarew.ck at gmail.com. That's elainecarew.ck at gmail.com. McCormick's Pharmacy are hiring someone to assist with social media management, pack and process orders, and general e-commerce duties. It's part-time, and for more information, email hrpharmacy1 at gmail.com. That's hrpharmacy1 at gmail.com. A kitchen porter is wanted at the Talbot Hotel. You can drop in your CV there. Waiting staff are wanted at the Junction Cafe. You can drop in your CV if interested there. Part-time Christmas staff are wanted at Fennessy's Hotel. You can send your CV to hotelfennessy at outlook.com. That's hotelfennessy at outlook.com. And finally, an experienced housekeeper is wanted at Raheen House. For more details, go to their social media pages. 
If you'd like to advertise a job on the Clonmel Podcast, you can email theclonmelpodcast at gmail.com. Okay, time for this week's interview. And I met up with JJ Killian for a chat. The Clonmel Podcast. JJ Killian, welcome to the Clonmel Podcast. Thank you, Mark. You're heavily involved, I know, with the rugby club, Clonmel Rugby Club, because I always see you doing the split the bucket draw on social media every Sunday evening and giving away some cash as well. Yeah, yeah. But tell us, when, you, when did you come to Clonmel, JJ? I, I came to Clonmel in 1969 when I was commissioned uh, as a second lieutenant in the army. And I came to Clonmel uh, to kick in barracks. And uh, I suppose I've been in and out of Clonmel in, since then, over 50 years, you know. But I'm still probably a blow-in in Clonmel. You know, you, they, they don't, they don't class, class you to, to their bosom so quickly here, you know. And you're from Athlone. I'm from Athlone originally, yeah. What made, what made you sign up then in the first place? <clears throat> well, Athlone, if you know it now, well, back then, and it still is, Athlone back then, when I was a youngster back in the 60s, Athlone was a huge garrison town, and it still is, huge right. garrison town. So there would be military people everywhere. Now, I didn't have a background in the army. My family had no military lineage. But um, our, our school at St Mary's College in Athlone had a, had a tradition of producing a cadet every year. And they did produce a cadet every year. And uh, I can name lots of guys who w- went before me and after me. But um, in 1967, I was, I was the, the cadet that went from, uh, from St. Mary's College at Lone into the cadet college, uh, into the cadet school. There are, just to explain to you, there are, there are three schools in the, in the military college. There is the cadet school, the infantry school, and the command and staff school. And I've been through all three of those over, spent many years in them. And a huge... It's only, it's only after your army service that you realise how good an education you received mm-hmm. and how, how it sets you up for, for life after the army. Mm. Um, because I spent, I spent two years in cadet college, or cadet school, which was a very, very intense two years, seven days a week, non- really? non-stop, yeah. Uh, yeah and uh, not everybody made it through, you know. But, um, they, well, it, the cadet school is a is a very, very strict um, military regime in, because they've got to, they've got to deconstruct the, the civilian and, and reconstruct the army officer. Uh, and okay. they, they do, and army officers are meant to, to be leaders and they're meant to uh, be able to uh, operate in adverse conditions. So they test you out every day. They really put you to... You know, to I gather them. mentally and physically. Oh, mentally and physically. It's mm. both, yeah. It's a, it's a rare combination of classroom and uh, heavy physical uh, endeavour, you know. So you get tested on every front. Uh, and you're expected to lead at all times. So, and they teach you that right from the word go, because every week you are, you're either part of a section or you're the section leader. Right. So you, you get both ends of it week in, week out. And uh, it's funny how some guys react. Some guys, when they're the section leader, want everyone to do it as they're told. But when they're a section member, they don't want to cooperate. You know? <laughs> so you, you can learn very, very quickly right. how, how the army works, you know. Um, and how did you feel being stationed then in Clonmel? Well, when I was, the, how, it, how it actually works, Mark, it depends where you, where you come in your class. I, was, okay. I think I was second or third in my class. So you get a choice. If you're way down the bottom of your class, you're just you just go. You're told where you're going, but um, so I was given a choice. So I, I picked the infantry corps and I picked Southern Command, and then I was told I was going to Clonmel and I had to check the map. Where is Clonmel? <laughs> <laughs> so so I arrived in Clonmel anyway, and uh, and it was a I won't say it was a strange experience. I mean, <clears throat> but uh, 
what I, what I found a bit strange the very few, first few days here in Clamel was this thing of a well, you know. Oh, we always say Well, yeah, well. Yeah, people, well. And I was, I, I, I was responding, <laughs> well, what, you know. So it took me a little while to catch on to this well, which is the local hello. You <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, it is. So, and the other thing that sort of threw me off balance a small bit about the barracks, that every second guy there was Ryan. Right. You know, I mean, Tipperary is full of Ryans, mm, and the mm. barracks was full of Ryans. So again, our way around that was we would use the we would use the last two digits of their serial number, what was 58. Or I knew all the 58, 35 Ryan, 44 Ryan, 86 Ryan. I never knew their first name, like, you know. So that's how you knew people, how you distinguish one Ryan from the other. And what was the barracks like back then? Barracks then was a, a lovely barracks, which... It <clears throat> Can I ask what year roughly we're talking about, JJ? When I came to, I came to Kicking Barracks in 1969. Okay. And, and we, were, we were commissioned actually a month early because we were in the heart of the troubles that really erupted then. So um, I wasn't long in Kicking Barracks at the start. Lovely barracks and, and very, very fine people. But I wasn't here long. I was only here about a month or two. And I, then I went off. I spent... I'd say two, two and a half, three years on border operations. So I, I was everywhere from Donegal to Dundalk and back. What was that you like? Uh, horrendous at times. Really? Yeah, it was. Because <clears throat> like now, we were just talking there. Like now, um, in terms of neutrality and being prepared for it, you know, we're, we're not prepared now, Mark, I mm. can tell you. Mm. And we weren't prepared back then. Like we weren't prepared to go to the Congo. Right. You know, I mean, we had people going to the Congo in bulls wool uniforms mm. in, in mm. 50 degrees of heat. Yeah, that's about heat yeah. We just weren't ready. And we weren't ready for the border operations because the army had, I mean, we were, the army is very, very well trained. But um, in terms of equipment and that sort of thing, uh, we weren't ready. And we ended up going up to the border, border posts in buses and everything else. And then a lot of the, um, I mean, I went into, I remember going into Longford, which hadn't been open for 40 years. I went into the cabin, which wasn't open for 40 years, and rat infested. Mm. And uh, we lived and served in horrendous conditions at times. And uh, I mean, nobody would put up with it, but mm. we put up with it. And we, we just got on with the job. I think it's a great uh, reflection on the professionalism and, uh, of, of the military personnel. No matter how dirty the job is, they just get on with it. Mm. That's it. Mm. Might grumble, you know, mm. and that's human nature. But we, at the end of the day, we'll get the job done. There's a great pride in getting the job done. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a great, you know, there's a great determination not to be beaten by the challenge, you know. But they were very, very strange times, Mark. Mm. Very strange times. <clears throat> you know, you, especially up there um, around the border. I remember, we, uh, and, and of course, we weren't, we weren't, as I said, we weren't at all prepared. I remember going around the patrols, jumping in and out of Landovers in number one dress, Sam Brown and everything, right. which is absolutely ridiculous, mm. you know. Just not suited. So eventually, eventually, after three or four years of this, we got combat uniforms. Now, they were fairly basic, but they were combat uniforms. And I remember being up in black line on the border one day, just checking patrols, and I was walking down the main street in combat uniform, which we had just received. And this woman comes out of a shop. And of course, up there, it's real IRA territory, you know, mm -hmm. real Republican territory. <clears throat> and she shouts at me, we don't want the effing British Army in here. <laughs> And I said, uh, excuse right. me, man. I see, we're not the British Army, we're, we're, we're the Irish Army. Yeah. Effing free stater, she said. Oh, I've walked away. <laughs> you just can't you win. You couldn't win. You can't win, you know. <laughs> so uh, there, were, there were strange, strange times. Um, mm. and, uh, Did you have any action up there yourself? Uh, yeah, we were, we were involved in lots of operations, you mm. know, uh, lots of operations, uh, tricky ones, uh, um, which I don't really want to talk about because they were, you know, you mm. mean breaking confidences and that sort of thing. Of course. But there were all sorts of different operations there was huge variety as well like I was involved in 
I was involved in the security operation for, for Ronald Reagan when he came here. No I way. Was involved, I was involved with security with Maggie Thatcher a couple of times and mm. other people, you know. So a, there was a huge variety of, of, of operations. Um, yeah, but you can get into very, very tricky situations uh, and searches for uh, people fleeing from various crimes, you know. So, and a lot of cooperation with the guards. And, <clears throat> and the guards are good, but the, but the guards, you know, people were criticising the guards for the, the recent Dublin city riots. The guards are not trained for that sort of stuff, you know, that's no. not their background. Mm -mm. The guards don't operate in units mm. under command. Mm. You know, the, the guards, generally speaking, operate in, as individuals on, out on the street, face to face with, with the local population. That's their job, normally speaking. But you can't suddenly click your fingers and say you're now part of an organised unit. Yeah. That takes years of commitment and training. And training as well, yeah. Yeah. And it was obvious to me watching it on television. You know, what, what, you, know you just can't give a shield mm. and a baton to a guard. You're now part of a public order unit. And also because you're military trained, you would see. Yeah, I, I would see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. rather than I would. It, and it just didn't look right, mm. you know. You know. Mm. I mean, for example, they were certainly too far apart. They didn't, right. look, they didn't look ominous. They didn't look threatening. Mm. I mean, if you put an army unit, anti-right unit on the street, they will, no matter who your local courier or tug is, mm. you, will, you will intimidate them. Yeah. Because that's what they're meant to do, you know. You mentioned Ronald Reagan there. Yeah. What was that like? Oh, a bit chaotic. We did a <laughs> we did a massive security operation for Ronald Reagan out in out in Ballyporeen. I think yeah. a lot of people remember when he came yeah. to Ballyporeen. And uh, we had a couple of contretemps with the with the, the the Secret Service, of course, arrived in their droves before him. You know. And the, the, the lengths they go to, I mean, the... Is that true? They pull up manhole covers oh, and that yeah. sort of oh, thing? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They actually moved out complete terraces of people in, in, and moved them into hotels. Just You're joking? Yeah, vacated the place, you know. Oh, and, my God. Yeah. So they, they go through the place sort of fine tooth comb before he would ever arrive, you know. I mean, it's, it's, it's a bit over the top, really, you know. Would they be here a couple of weeks before? <clears> oh, they would. Oh, yeah, they would, they would be there, yeah. And they would, they would you know... Suss out the whole area and... Are though those guys were going around wearing suits and dark glasses? Is that what they all... Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they they yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, they're, they're like, yeah. They're like, the, and you'd see them, and they always, they always look a bit comic, because you meet, actually meet them in, in Lebanon, believe it or not, in times. Mm, mm. You meet these CIA, CIA guys, like, mm. and they're in, a, you know, we're all wearing uniform and, you know, and these guys go around with their sunglasses and dark suits, you know what I mean? <laughs> Stick out like sore thumbs, you know? <laughs> so that was a big operation then, Ronald Reagan. Oh, yeah, a big operation. Yeah, Perrine, huge operation, yeah. huge operation, yeah. yeah. Did you get to, to see the man or...? or? Uh, I was fairly close to him, but I mean, mm. you know, you're, you're, you're just doing a job, basically, you know. There was great excitement around that he was coming, wasn't Oh, yeah, there? yeah. <laughs> was, yeah <laughs> Tracing yeah. his temporary routes. That's right, yeah, yeah. So, the, I mean, they all, this is part of... Being a politician, was claiming to be Irish is, you know, is always a great boost for the because you know of the of the huge voting Irish bloc in the states. So it pays to say you're Irish or part Irish, you know. Did you enjoy your time in the service? <clears throat> oh yeah, I did. Yeah, Just, mm. yeah, absolutely. It's 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 a tough place to be. Uh, I think you have to adjust to it. It's a strange, it's a strange kind of a career, Mark. I mean, I remember the day I arrived in in. Uh, in Kick and Barracks in, in 1969, I was barely just about touch touch 20. And you were, you're in, immediately in charge of people who were old enough to be your father. Right. And it's a, it's a very strange and it's a very tricky place to put yourself, you know. Yeah, couldn't have gone well yeah. in certain circumstances. Yeah, it can, so. can do. But mm. the, the, the problem is that there's a system there uh, and there is a, there's a hierarchy there and everyone kind of bends into that. So 
it's not like where you have, you're taking over um, a commercial company where you're the boss and you have to kind of lead and, and, and persuade people and everything else. Whereas if, if you're the officer and then the other person is the NCO, now it's a matter of, now it's not a matter of talking down to them. You know, people get the wrong impression about this sort of thing, that it's all about just talking down, down, down through the ranks. I mean, I mean, I've served in Lebanon and served in, in Syria and very, you have to, you have to, you're depending on people for your life. They're depending on you for their life. And it's, it's not a matter of talking down to people. It's a matter of working very, very closely with people and cooperating and looking after each other's backs, mm. you know. Um, you know, people often get the wrong impression about, about military, uh, military units and how they operate, you know. And I'd say when you are serving in, in, in countries like Lebanon and Syria, it's, it's how you talk to people. Oh, yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's, that's, that's, a, that's, a huge, that's a huge bonus for the Irish. The Irish are known throughout the world in UN circles and highly respected. And you'll find in most UN situations that after a short while, the guy at the top is invariably an Irish guy. Because mm-hmm. the one thing we're good at, we're good at getting on with people. We're, 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 we're very diplomatic. We have no colonial mm-hmm. uh, skeletons in, in the cupboard. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get on very well with people. Uh, we, we're no threat. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, like to, we like to engage with people. And that goes down very, very well. You know, as I mean, for, I, give you, I give you an example. When, we, when we, were, we were in Lebanon for nearly eight months and there was a French battalion next door. And during that eight months, they had 15 soldiers killed. Uh, because of course the French would have would have tradition mm. back. They would hist- have history in Lebanon. Yeah. You know what I mean. Most most Lebanese people speak French, right? And uh, as a, as do a lot of Syrians. But um, because they would, you know, there's a way of behaving with the local population. You know, you know, and and when in Rome, do as the Romans do, and yeah. and, and learn to merge with them, mm. and and, uh, and don't clash with them. You know, now because it's it's um, Lebanon back then. Uh, I would refer to it as kind of an open air asylum, mm. a very very unpredictable place. I mean, they're lovely, lovely people, but they're very unpredictable. You're not sure what they're going to do in five minutes' time, you mm. know? Mm. They could be mm. shaking hands now and firing shots at you five mm. minutes' time, you know, so... And did you have any close encounters like that? Oh, yeah, we had a lot of really? very, very hairy encounters, and I've seen people killed, and, you know, I've, yeah, we, we had a lot of... And we had... Now, we, we didn't lose anybody during our trip over there. Um, we, brought, we brought seven or eight guys home on stretchers, you know? We were very, very fortunate, but we didn't have anybody killed. Mm. But... Um, yeah, it was, it was tricky and tough at times. How long were you in the service for? 25 years. 25 sure, years? Yeah. Did yeah. you find it sad to leave it? Uh, no, you... I suppose go into civilian. Right? <clears throat> you, 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 it's funny, you see, it's hard to... When I think back on it now, it's, it's very hard to kind of understand. I, may, I, made, I mean, I made, I made a major decision. I mean, I could have stayed in the army. I think I could, I could have been... I, w- I was told I, I could have been very, very successful if I stayed there. But mm. sometimes you lose patience... To me, the army was moved too slowly for me, right. and as well as that, the other big, the other big no-no for me in the army was it, it, it's different now, but it was then it was based on the seniority system. So if you're number one and I'm number two, you're always ahead of me, right. no matter how good I am. Okay. And so that didn't work for me, right. you know. So that I think that was the main thing that drove me out of the army. Mm. But as well as that, when I, when I came to my my fortieth birthday, I said, look, I just need to do something else. If I, if I wait any longer, I'd be afraid to go. So I just. I just made that decision. I need to do something else. Did you have a plan in mind? What you um, not so sure did I have? A <laughs> <laughs> did I have a plan in mind? Or did an opportunity come along? An opportunity come along. Yeah, I was. I was asked to go out and manage a transport company, which I did mm. for four or five years, and uh, did that. A huge, huge change. 
massive uh, culture shock to me as well, like, you know, because mm. not alone was I going from the private sector to the public sector, but going from a very, very organised hierarchical structure into a free-for-all situation. Mm. Mm. So that took a huge amount of adjusting to, you know. I'd was say, that local, was it? Yeah, local, yeah, Bulger Transport. Oh, here yeah, yeah, I yeah, remember yeah, Bulger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and, and I was, at that time, I, was, I, had, I had been CEO of the barracks, for four years, and you know, you say, and you're looking at managing mm. 250 people and say, I can manage that, I can do this, I can mm. do It's not always that simple, you know. Mm. Skills don't always transfer from one place to another that, that easily. So it was a shock for me, but I, you know, I, I adjusted to it over a couple of months, you know. Okay. So, um, yeah, it was, a, it was, it was a, a bit of a shock, but that's, that's life. You have to adjust to different circumstances. And you were there, what, for five years? There, yeah, five years. Then we went on to find, to set up, uh, uh, a company called Flancare. Flancare. Yeah. How we all remember Flancare yeah. in Clonmel, seeing well, we those that, rigs around yeah, the roads. Well, that was a huge success story. We we set that up in 1993, I think it was, with ten people, and in, by 2003, ten years later, we were employing the guts of 400 people no way. on site here in Clonmel, Longford, and Dublin. Oh my God! Yeah, see, it just mushroomed, you know. And how many trucks are on the road saying Clonmel? We had, we had the guts of 100, 100 trucks, yeah. You'd it was, see them everywhere. It was a big operation, yeah. It was like years yeah, ago, you'd always yeah. see a Bulmers lorry on the road. Yeah. And yeah, then you'd always yeah. see a Flanker truck yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Logistics is a, that sort of a game. It's, it's, you, know, you, you can have great days. It's, it's fantastic when it goes well. Mm. And then, of course, you can have the days when everything goes wrong. You know? mm. So, mm. Uh, so good days at Flanker? <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, very, very busy. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Great experience. Yeah, it was very, very busy. Like we were, as I said, we were we were a nationwide operation then. Like, and um, we were at that time, I would say, doing about five thousand deliveries nationwide every week. You know, week in, week out. We were interfacing with the with all the the supermarkets and you know, right. and and the co-ops on behalf of a range of clients. Fantastic. Like you know, we had clients like. Heineken, L'Oreal, and you know, Dunn stores, you know, they're mm, all mm. good clients. So, um, yeah, it was busy, busy. <laughs> just, yeah, what happened to plan care, JJ? And then we just, you know, every, everything comes, everything comes to its own kind of, yeah. and it was, it, it was taken over by another operation, uh, logistics company, and, and I departed mm. in two thousand and ten, and then I got into, um, I got into uh, a consultancy business uh, for a, for a while, and then I, I got involved with. Uh, with various consultancies uh, operations, with mostly through the EU. So uh, you travelled then? Oh, a lot, yeah. Did I mean, you? how it operates um, out there in the EU? There's there are oh, millions and millions and millions of euros to be spent on various projects. You know, I mean, there could be an there could be an educational project in Sudan mm. or, an, or an irrigation program in in Lebanon or whatever, a management project in Egypt. You know, so there's there's endless amounts of projects out there, and there are. There are hundreds and hundreds of, of consultancy companies out there fishing for all these contracts, okay? Mm. So if a consultancy company gets, we'll say, a management consultancy contract in Egypt, then they've got to say, okay, we've got the contract. Now we've got to f- look around and find management consultants. Mm. So I would be on various websites, and then they would, they would contact you and say, do you want to do this job, you know? Mm. So, um, yeah, it was very, very interesting. So, Travelled the world, I'd say. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was in... I was in Egypt, Egypt a lot. I was in Botswana. I was in Kosovo. I was in Azerbaijan, Armenia. Where else was I? Germany, um, Tanzania. You really were. Yeah, yeah. In, in some quite remote places yeah, as well. Yeah, and it's and it's uh, it's the the first actually the first one I did. 
I was fishing around for quite a while and, uh, and uh, nothing was happening. I was getting a bit frustrated. And uh, another, another army friend of mine was, had been doing it for a couple of years. And he said, just keep fishing. It'll happen someday. And it did. Just get this, get this email. Would you like to work on this? And, and the first one I worked on was in Azerbaijan. Right. And my first question was, I'd get the map out. Where the hell is Azerbaijan? <laughs> and, and the world seems like a massive place. But really, when you get down to it, I mean, how I got started to operate then, you know, you, you get on a plane in Cork and you go, to, you go to Heathrow, which is an hour of a flight. Mm. And from Heathrow, you can go anywhere right. in four, five, six hours. I mean, literally yeah. anywhere. So that's so my first, uh, my first uh, foray into uh, consulting on an EU basis was in Azerbaijan, which is, is a fantastic country. You know, mm. they are very determined over there to be, uh, to be European. You know, they've done soccer champions. They've, they've, mm. they've done boxing matches. And mm. of course, I wash with money. Gas and oil money, you know. No way, really. Yeah. Oh yeah. wow. I remember, I remember when I was over there. I think it was my. I think it might have been my, my second or last trip. They won the Eurovision, mm. and I said, "How are you going to do this? This is the, only a year away." That's that. Of course, they've got to then hold it the next, the following year, yeah. haven't they? Yeah. I think it was nine or ten months. You say, how, how, this is only nine or ten months. How are you going to do that? How are you going to afford that? No problem. We just. I said, "You haven't even got a hall that'll do this. We'll just build the hall." <laughs> you know, no, and they did. Money was no problem, like you know. What about Botswana? What was that like? Botswana was, I think, one of the nicest places. I've really? Been to. Yeah, Botswana is mm. a lovely place. Botswana next door to South Africa. Um, lovely, lovely people. I think the nicest people I've come across. Uh, Botswana is uh, two massive tribes, really, um, who get on very well. And it's more, it's a mostly Christian um, mm. country. So before every management situation or lecture or whatever we had. They would say a prayer at the start and at the finish, but lovely, lovely people. I really enjoyed it there, um, and of course, home to um, there's a lot of what we what you'd call uh, the human animal conflict there, you know, because it's it's a wash with elephants and all sorts of wildlife. Yeah, yeah. They have a problem with elephants with overpopulate, but um, they're beginning to migrate elephants to different countries now. So, um, did uh, you find that quite strange when you're at a place there like that and you have got all these wild animals? Yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah, you, know? you could see them up close. Fantastic. Yeah, it was, it was fantastic. And and it, now and it can be very very hot there. Mm. Really really hot, uh, which is not to my liking, you know. <laughs> so and uh, but the same in Egypt. I I've worked a lot in Egypt in Cairo and various places, uh, and again very 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 hot. But you're usually moving from a an air-conditioned hotel to an air-conditioned car to an air-conditioned building. Yeah. So you don't get too much of it. But there were times there, like I worked out in Luxor at times, and uh, uh, it could have been 45 degrees in the afternoon, like, you know. Wow. So you wouldn't step out into that too easy. Oh, uh, nice. You know? Not without any sun yeah. factor on anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's all very, very interesting, you know. Oh, I'll tell you what, the boy from F Loan did well, didn't he? <laughs> the, pro- the, problem with, the, problem, the problem with consultancy, you've got to learn very, yeah. very quickly as you go, like, you know, because, and I, got, I, I, found the first one, I found the first one in Azerbaijan a little bit intimidating because it was, it was, um, it was teaching management principles to uh, state employees at a, at a high enough level, you know. Mm. And, uh, but I was, I was part of a team there, uh, who, uh, three Germans, two Romanians, uh, two Finns and, and a Swedish guy. So I was able to blend in and, and learn very quickly on, on, on the job. But in, in most other projects then I went on, you, you arrive in the country on your own. You're on your own. So people, ex- people see you as the mm-hmm. international expert 
and they expect you to perform right. and, and to hit the targets. Mm. So a little bit of pressure. Yeah, but I'd it's, say but, it would be. But it's but it's it was you know it was good you know very very good. I'll tell you what, you're a well-travelled man. Yeah. You really are. <laughs> let's let's talk about Clonmel Rugby Club. <clears throat> Clonmel Rugby Club and, and yeah. your involvement in the club. Yeah, Clonmel Rugby Club. As when I when I I had played rugby like from the school mm. um, in Athlone, um, the usual underage process. And then when I went to the cadet school, I played rugby with them. And then I came to Clonmel. <clears throat> and of course, it was only here a short while, and I said I better find out about the rugby club. And the rugby club in Clonmel had the rugby club in Clonmel was was first founded in eighteen eighty two, and uh, had struggled along for many many years. But in the sixties, it, it it went into a dip and actually went out of existence for for a few years. And I when I arrived in Clonmel, it was just coming back then sixty nine seventy. The club was just being reinvigorated. But I remember going from my first match down to a meeting down to Hearns Hotel and meeting, God rest him now, the late Billy Shore and a few more. And we were going to go and play a match in Dungarvan. Mm. And we couldn't muster a full team. We only had 12 people. Oh, you're joking. So Dungarvan, no way. Give, yeah, Dun- Dungarvan gave us three people. And we Dungarvan, know- the opposing team, <laughs> gave you three players. And we had no set of jerseys. You know, no jerseys. So, um, oh, she God help us. So we it? hardly ended. So, and so we, so Clonmel Rugby Club has come a long, long, long way. So, sorry, I be- to, sorry to interrupt you here. Did you win the game? Uh, not that I remember. <laughs> 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 not the three lads in Dungarvan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, yeah, we. But um, I mean, clubs, clubs are are about people getting together with a, with a with a with a with a goal or a purpose in mind, and uh, mm. I think. The club has been very far. I'm, I've been in our club now for the guts of fifty years, you know, and uh, it's amazing the the program. I mean, we we came from that day with not even a set of jerseys, mm. and now it's one of the finest rugby premises in the country. That's you know, fantastic, isn't it? I mean, Munster played Leinster here and under lights, that's you mm. know, mm. and um, we we were praised by the RFU some some years ago as as being the model for club development, you know. So, and. Um, so yeah, we the, the the club has done massively, massively well, and of course we we were a junior club for most of my time, but in the last couple of years, um, we uh, we have become a senior club, and that's a different ball game altogether. Mm. Um, so now we're playing we're playing uh, clubs in Belfast and Derry, and you know that sort of thing. So it's an, it's 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 really an all island game now. Um, now we're in division we're in, we're in the lowest echelon of the All Ireland League. We're in Division Two C. But it's still a serious. It's a serious, mm-hmm. serious game at that level, and it's and it's also a serious commitment, and it's uh, quite a financial uh, burden as well. Mm. It's not cheap. I mean, we were up in Balna there. Was it two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and to go up there for the weekend because it's not a, you, you don't. You, the, the difference is, if you're going to Derry, you don't get in your car on Saturday morning up to Derry. That's just not possible. And play a game of rugby, so you got to go the night before. Right. And there's there's a coach and there's a hotel and all that. So. I mean, you you're looking at the guts of that sort of weekend. If you have to go to Derry with a, if you were taking a team and subs and and coaches and everything else, yeah. you're looking at thirty people. Mm. You know, maybe thirty two or three people. So coach hire and hotel, and you, you could be looking at five thousand euros for the weekend. Oh, That's for a weekend. Really? Yeah, it's oh it's, it's expensive. So, so a rugby club now. I mean, clubs, whether they're rugby or GAA soccer, whatever clubs have changed massively in over the last twenty years. I mean. You'd, you'd, you'd often wonder, you know, at times, are, are, we, are we running a sports club or are we running a business? Mm. Well, well, the answer to that is if clubs now, if they're anyway serious, you have to run a club now according to business principles. Because you, you, you have to raise money, spend money, manage money. Mm. 
you you have to budget for you know you have to balance the books at the end of the of the and you have to report to your to your body of membership every year. Mm. And most clubs now will have an auditor and, and all that sort of thing, and will have serious budgeting meetings and that sort of so thing. So it is like a business now. Oh, it is like a business, mm. and, and 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 the club officers will will um will have job descriptions and all that sort of thing. You know, so it's it's a serious business, and and the conditions have changed as well. Like for example. Things like GDPR now, big impact, mm. and uh, and the whole the whole area of of child protection and child protection legislation. I mean, clubs are much more serious places than they used to be. Mm. They're more complex, mm. um, so it's not a matter of just kicking the ball around. Mm. There's an awful lot to it, and 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 I know that because at the moment I'm I'm the chairperson at the moment, so I'm the highest executive officer in in the club. Mm. Uh, the president is, is an honorary position, so you'd have. You'd have a chair and a secretary and treasurer and then all the various other officers, you know, what safety officer, child welfare officer, all these different positions, all who all who have to meet at, on at least a monthly basis and, and run the club. Uh, and I gather fundraising <coughs> as well. It must be oh, fund- fundraising. Going. Well, fundraising is, as I said, at times you would you would get confused. Somebody said to me recently, are, are you a... Are you a rugby club or a fundraising club? I said, I'm not sure I get confused at times, you know, because fund, fundraising, like it or not, I mean, as I said to you, running a senior club now in, in the All-Ireland League is a, is a serious business mm. and uh, it takes a lot of funding. And so therefore, you're always trying to come up with different ways to raise money. And at times, and you have to market the club. The club, you have to market the club as a product now mm. because you are operating in a local marketplace. You're competing with every GAA club, soccer club, mm. you know, and they're all looking for the same resources. They all have their hands out. They're looking for sponsors and, and yeah. supporters. And, yeah. and, and fundraising is a non-going. It's like our split the bucket. That's just one of many, many mm. things we're doing. That's going well, though, isn't it's it? Going, yeah, it's going mm. very, very well. Like, it's going just over a year now, and we have raised uh, 25000 uh, for the club, and, we, and uh, of course, it's a split, so we've also given 25,000 in cash prizes to the local population. Mm. So that's going very, very well. But it's hard, it's hard work, Mark, you know. Mm. Um, and, and that's just part of being involved in the club. You have to roll up your sleeves and do the work because it, it doesn't do itself, you know. Is rugby becoming <coughs> more popular, do you think, than it was? R- um, on different levels, I could say yes and no. Right. Um, it's it's hugely popular because it, it takes very well to television we, and we just we've just seen the World Cup and yeah. all that sort of thing. Um, by the same token, um, rugby is is getting a fair bit of bad press at the moment. As you know, there's there's a class action here in the UK and in Ireland by former rugby players who are now uh, suffering from motor neuron disease and, and right, various yeah. other you know because um, rugby is, is is a game of collisions, like it or it not, is, and yeah. concussion is a part of it. Mm. And and a lot of a lot of parents now don't want their kids playing rugby because of that. But the, so rugby as, as, a, as a world body has to work much, much harder now and to, to be seen to be much more serious about player welfare. Mm-hmm. Um, but having, you know, it's still a hugely popular game. I and mean, you go up to our club on a Saturday morning, there's hundreds of kids there That's from right. the age of seven up mm-hmm. playing rugby, you know. Uh, it's, a, it's a great game for, believe it or not, it's a great game for discipline. You would think it's not, it's, you would think looking at it, it's the most indisciplined game, like, you know. This, you know, uh, they often say that rugby is a game for toads played by gentlemen. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, it's a it's a it's a great game for discipline, and you find as against the, the, for example, there's great respect for the referee in rugby. Like you know, no matter what happens, you know, you see guys getting a yellow card, they just turn and walk off the pitch. Yeah. You know, 
there's no uh, no no, 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 no verbals, you know, going on after. No, because you get punished for verbals straight away, you know. You ever tempted to get back on the field, JJ? <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you're watching a game, thinking, uh, oh, I, remember, I remember those days now. Oh, uh, yeah, you yeah. Know? <laughs> oh, my yeah, they're weird. The distant past. Yeah. Listen, time unfortunately has beaten us. Yeah. And I've got one final question yeah. to ask you. Since your many years now in Clonmel, do you have a favourite place or part of Clonmel at all? Ooh, um, yeah, I do. I like, I like, what I would like to go is walk the dog in the local park. I love the local park here, you know, mm -hmm. um, Mulcahy Park. And, um, uh, there's lots of nice places in Clonmel. It's, it's, it's a lovely, it's a lovely, it's a lovely part of the country. Now, funny, uh, there's a particular thing about Clonmel I should have said to you, like, mm. when we arrived in the barracks first, and a lot of guys experienced this, Clonmel is down in a hole, mm. it's surrounded by hills. And we would find that guys at lunchtime, you know, would sit down and they'd fall asleep. And I was remember ta speaking to this about this to uh, mm. the late, God rest him, Tom Heenan, the doctor. Mm. And he said, if you have a, any sort of a chest problem or, you know, that's a, Tom Hill is the wrong place to be. Oh. It's not, the air is, is, is not good here. It's like, right in know? the valley, aren't It's we? down the valley, you know, mm. so it could be a sleepy place, you know. But having said that, I mean, I have, I have really enjoyed my time in Tom Hill. Lovely parts of the country and... Uh, yeah, I mean, there's lovely, uh, lots of nice spots around the town. St. Patrick's Well, and, mm. you know, it, it's a really nice nice place, you know. I'm glad to live here. JJ, you're a very interesting man. <laughs> thank you, Listen, Mark. thank you for coming on the podcast yeah. this week. Thank you very much, Mark. Thank you. The Clonmel Podcast. Thank you, JJ. Right before I go, time to announce the winners of our hashtag Where's Miller competition for this week. The draw has been done. Well done to Liam C40 on Instagram and also Kathleen McKenna on Facebook. You both received the very nice Clonmel podcast mug, but also the very cool mini Mella Keery. Mella, by the way, was indeed at the new Tipperary Sports Hub, Clonmel Sports Hub, the running track out the road there. That will do. So well done, you guys. And thank you to everyone who entered the competition. And look out for Mella again for the final week taking her selfie somewhere around town for your chance to win. So there we have it. That is the Clonmel Podcast for this Friday, the 15th of December. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact, you can email theclonmelpodcast at gmail.com and you'll find us on Facebook, Instagram and X, formerly Twitter. And of course, on the website, www.theclonmelpodcast.com. Next week, it's our final episode, the Christmas special. Until then, have a lovely week and I'll talk to you then. Bye-bye. This podcast was brought to you by Mr. Mr. Menswear, Abbey Street Care and Friar Street Cashel, stocking a large collection of quality and formal clothing with sizes from extra small to eight extra large with boys wear, also available in their Cashel store. They're open this Sunday from 2 to 5 p.m. until 7 p.m. next Friday, the 22nd of December and 9 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. on Christmas Eve. Gift cards also available. For more, go to mrmister.ie. You've been listening to the Clumbell Podcast with Mark Whelan. Produced by West 10 Audio Productions. Your town, your podcast.